Hello, Peter. What's happening? Um, I'm gonna need you to go ahead and come in tomorrow. So if you could be here around nine, that would be great. Okay. Oh, oh, and I almost forgot. Um, I'm also gonna need you to go ahead and come in on Sunday too. Okay. We uh, lost some people this week, and uh, we need to sort of play catch up. Thanks. Don't you just hate when that happens? Hey fam, welcome to a new episode of LM2 Talks. As always, I'm your host, Larry. This episode was kind of a long time coming, and it was a topic that's kind of been on my mind for a little while, but in the last um, couple of months, it really kind of came to the forefront of being something that I felt like I wanted to talk about on the podcast. So um, it needs a little bit of setup where it's actually coming from and why I want to talk about it. So for those of you that have been listening or following me on social media, especially Facebook, you know that um, I recently fell in love with the game Red Dead Redemption 2. Um, it's got its issues, but from a story perspective, it's something that I really love. The issue comes in in terms of its creation and kind of the work um, that went into making this game. And so just kind of a little background on it. So the game is made by a company called Rockstar Games, and uh, they are the people that make Grand Theft Auto. They made L.A. Noir. They made the original Red Dead Redemption. So they make some pretty well, you know, highly regarded video games that generally sell pretty well. We're talking about some of the highest selling media properties in the world. And the issue has been for quite a bit of time, you know, even since the first Red Dead and some of the older GTA games, some of the labor practices that the company participates in. And, you know, there were things like the spouses letter where essentially spouses of people working on the games wrote in to complain about the work conditions and not seeing their spouses. But where Red Dead Redemption 2 really came into this was co-founder of Rockstar Games, Dan Hauser, uh, was being interviewed and, you know, joyously, he kind of talked about the idea that, you know, they were working 100 hour days to finish the game. And so rightfully, people were a little concerned when he said that, thinking about the labor practices that the company has kind of been known for, you know, really kind of having, you know, these really terrible work conditions um, you know, where people are, are asked to do a lot more than, you know, some folks feel they should. And, you know, I found myself kind of having a lot of mixed emotions about this whole idea. And, you know, what it really brought me to was the way that we as a society, we as a culture kind of look at work and what we deem as working hard, what we deem as working too hard or not hard enough. Um, and the idea of of crunch um, and, you know, I'm going to butcher it, but I'm going to give you a very short explanation of it. Um, you know, so 
Have you ever been working on something and a deadline is coming up? And so right before that deadline, maybe it's a week before that deadline, everybody on your team or you yourself or, you know, however the makeup of your office is, everybody starts putting in loads and loads and loads of hours. Um, You know, a good example for me is I work in higher education. And so, you know, you think about, all right, the beginning of the school year is about to start up. What's going to happen? Everybody buckles down, puts in hours and hours and hours. You know, no one, no one's going home early because we all have to prepare for students to come back to campus. We have to get our trainings done. We have to get, you know, we have to be ready. And, you know, this idea that we all kind of start to subscribe to this idea that this is just the way that it is. You know, we have to work this way. Otherwise, we won't be able to get our jobs done. And this is something that the video game industry, you know, does pretty regularly, especially on these AAA titles. So these these really big blockbuster games. But like I said, you know, we're also experiencing that in higher education. And I'm sure there are other fields that people are working in where they see this same kind of thing. And I think it's that practice that that kind of idea of crunch this, you know, we're going to we we're running out of time. We have to put all these hours in. That's really not healthy. You know, I'm thinking about it a lot recently and the idea that, you know, within some fields, within some workers, the idea that we we feel like we can't take time off or we have to keep working ourselves and working ourselves and working ourselves or, you know, we're not fulfilling what we need to fulfill and even kind of imposing that idea on others. You know, that was the other place that my mind kind of went reading about this story and also thinking about work culture. The idea that, all right, you know, we're, we may be so used to it individually and then we kind of impose that on others. So, you know, I'm the first person in the office. I'm the last person out. Other people should be here just as long as I do. I am this, this almost self martyrdom that people start to kind of put onto themselves when they're working. And, you know, again, like that's not healthy and it's not healthy to expect that or to impose that on other folks. And realistically, Sure, you know, some people might work better under strenuous deadlines or, you know, some people may feel they need to to pour themselves into their work like this. Different strokes for different folks. But when that becomes the norm, when that becomes what's expected, we have an issue. And I think this is a problem that won't go away anytime soon unless we really start to kind of look at the work culture that we have and start to move away from this idea that, you know, we need to be dedicating our lives to whatever office that we're in or whatever work that we're doing. You know, and I know for some folks, the idea of work-life balance, myself included, can be can be kind of hard to wrap your head around. The idea that, oh, you know, I need to, you know, compartmentalize and I need to have this time that's for work and this time for everything that's outside of work. Because realistically, in some people's professions, their job may not necessarily allow for that total segregation of those things. You know, I work in higher education and I work in social media, PR communications. And so, you know, realistically, even if I'm off, there is a degree to which I 
find myself needing to kind of look in not because it's expected of me but because that's kind of what I've told myself that I need to do and I think that that kind of gets to the heart of it for a lot of this it's how do we view ourselves and the work that we are doing in the context of others and how do we separate that out from our view of ourselves and our personal lives how can we kind of you know make that decision to say all right you know I am going to go home early. I am going to take my vacation days. I am going to take my sick days. You know, I'm not getting paid overtime. Why am I staying here past time? Why am I getting here so early? Really start to ask ourselves those questions and to really dive into why we're doing what we're doing and to really think about why would we put that onto someone else? If we are kind of looking at ourselves in this way where you know we feel like no one is working as hard of, as us why are we working so hard why are we working ourselves to the point of exhaustion why are we working ourselves to the point where you know we want to be seen as martyrs for doing the work that we're doing and i don't really have a solid answer i really want to open this up to you all I, I want to hear back from you on this and what are some of the observations that that you have had you know it's it's challenging it's a challenging topic and it's something that I feel like we don't necessarily talk enough about you know we talk about work-life balance we talk about having families and everything like that but we never talk about the actual work that we're putting in and why we put that in and why we kind of judge the work of others against the amount of time that we are putting in and i think that's something that can go a long way in helping us kind of recover from this kind of self-imposed handicap that we put on ourselves because you know it's I, I don't have the data in front of me, but there's a lot of research out there that that really looks at diminishing returns and the idea that, you know, the more hours that someone's working, the more exhausted they are, the more their work productivity goes down. And so why would we kind of continually want to push and push and push when we know that can be negatively impacting not only the quality of our work that we're doing, but also our, our kind of happiness in that work that we're doing? Um and just generally, how can we as a society, we as a culture, really start to fundamentally change our thoughts on our work environments, our work hours, the way that we think about work, the way that we impose our beliefs about work on others? And, you know, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the idea of, you know, being being a young black successful person where you know there's there's always that idea of we have to work twice as hard to get half as much and you know what role does that play into work culture for young black professionals you know do is there an added stress there because of the cultural component how does that kind of idea manifest for women or other people of color and why do we kind of allow that to persist? How can we break that down? And, you know, what is the model of work and work culture and thinking about work that would most benefit us as a people 
lead to kind of the highest amount of productivity, but also lead to a happier workforce in general. Because, I mean, I think at the end of the day, that's that's what it really comes down to. Like, yes, you know, Red Dead Redemption 2 is a great game. A lot of hours have been poured into it. And I want to support those people that were working way harder than they probably should have and spent more time away from their family than they should have with it. But I struggle with supporting a company that that really puts that idea out there that these people need to do this how do we how do we come to terms with those things how do we hold these organizations accountable how do we hold our our own organizations accountable but at the same time support those that are doing the labor and show them that their work was worth it you know just this is a little bit of a tangent but i remember someone telling me hey, I'm never going to support this company because of what they ask their, you know, employees to do. And that's fair. I mean, that's that's a fair way to think about it. But for me, I struggle with that because, all right, if I don't support them, then I'm saying that the work that those people did is meaningless. I'm saying that they don't deserve to be, you know, they, they don't deserve to be recognized for that. They don't deserve to be celebrated. The work that they did doesn't matter. And so it's like, how can we, how can we really, how can we do that? How can we find that way to hold organizations accountable, but also support the work of those doing it? And again, like I said, like the video game industry is not the only place where this happens. You know, we see it all over the place. And, you know, it's not just this isn't just a U.S. work culture thing. This happens in other countries as well. How do we reframe our thoughts on work culture? So, you know, I know this, you know, I if I if I were, you know, a radio talk show, this is when I'd have some people call in. And, you know, I I, I really do want to hear from people. I want you to send me some emails or send me some social media messages and just share your thoughts on this. Let me know what you're thinking about this. And, you know, a a little bit of an offshoot, a little bit. It's not quite a tangent because it is connected. But another thing that I was thinking about with with work culture and and getting back to the idea of, you know, kind of individual culture, I found myself asking on Twitter, you know, how much of yourself do you feel like you're able to bring into the workplace? And I set this up as a poll, uh, and I, I was really interested in what people had to say here, because we all, depending on your personality, it might be a struggle to bring yourself to work, especially, again, for you know people of color. We sometimes need to, and, and I say need in the, you know, you know, kind of survivorship way, we sometimes need to kind of restrict ourselves from being fully who we are so that we can advance or so that we can kind of work without obstacle or minimize the obstacles that we're working against. And so what was really interesting to me, um, because I'm a person that often feels like I'm kind of restricting how much of myself I'm bringing to the office. A lot of that has to do with, you know, how comfortable I am with the team that I'm working with currently. 
um, the role that I'm currently in. I've been here for about almost a year and a half now. And so that first year, uh, you know, I personally found myself maybe bringing 25% or less of myself kind of to the office. You know, I wanted to get a lay of the land. I wanted to kind of get comfortable with everybody before really just kind of leaning into all of who I am and my quirks and my passions, the stuff that rubs me the wrong way, the stuff that I get energized about. Um, and, you know, there was there was a very minimal amount of people that kind of felt that way, that felt like they could only bring that amount. Um, about a quarter of my respondents felt like they were able to bring, you know, 25 to 50 percent uh, of themselves to the office. And, you know, again, that's not much better. You know, if I'm only bringing half of myself to the office, where's the other half of me? You know, where's the other part of my identity? And why am I leaving that out of the work that I'm doing? How does it affect the work that I'm doing? If I'm able to be my full self, am I able to produce more interesting work? Or am I able to, you know, better operate with my coworkers, things like that? I was actually really surprised that, you know, 58% of my respondents, you know, mark themselves as, you know, being able to bring 50 to 75%. Now, to be fair, you know, that doesn't really tell me how many of those people were closer to the 50%. I was really hoping for some more people to really talk about, you know, or to really actually share their kind of individual experiences. We didn't quite have that um, with this poll. Again, it was a Twitter poll, and I and I realized that I should have probably changed up the the ranges a little bit more. But beyond that, only about nine percent of our my respondents said they were able to bring seventy five to one hundred percent of themselves to the office. And so, you know, realistically. It, it, I I really feel like that's a problem, and you know it's it kind of gets back to everything. It's like we have to kind of put ourselves on hold in order to kind of come into the work environment. And and I know some people will say, well, we have to do that. It's important to compartmentalize ourselves and not let our own kind of personal ideas get in the way of the work that we do. But depending on what you do, being able to bring in that personal experience can be a great benefit. And I think that's something that we also have to kind of reconcile with, like, what are the places that we can allow for that to happen, where we can have those conversations, where we can bring more of ourselves to what we're doing. And, you know, again, it's that idea of work-life balance. You know, there's, there's a part of me that's like, well, I should be able to be complete at all times. It shouldn't matter if I'm at work. It shouldn't matter if I'm at home. It shouldn't matter if I'm with my friends or with my family. And I know, you know, to some degree that's unrealistic. There's always a bit of compartmentalization that we're doing. But, you know, again, is there a way that we can raise those numbers up where we're, you know, displaying a higher percentage of our personality at all times, no matter what we're doing, no matter who we're interacting with? And how do we find those environments for ourselves that allow us to do that? Um, so that's really what I'm going to leave you with today in terms of, you know, kind of the main topic of the episode. Like I said before, you know, make sure you send me a social media message. Make sure you send me an email. I really want to hear what you all think on this topic. Um, there's a lot more to discuss. I might do a follow up episode in the future, depending on, you know, what you all have to say. Um, but 
you know, for now, that's where you know, we're going to leave that there. And, you know, let's transition into our spoiler free reviews for the week. Um, so recently, uh, because I've moved to the bi-weekly, um, or I'm trying to kind of keep myself on a bi-weekly recording schedule, we're going to see how well this works out. Um, if there, if I'm really feeling strongly about something, I might, you know, release some episodes back to back. Um, I know the next episode that I want to do talking about, um, critique and critical analysis versus kind of individual experience is is probably something that's going to come out next week because i i really 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 want to talk about it and sometimes it's better to get those ideas off your chest rather than letting them you know kind of wait and and fester so um maybe fester isn't the right word um but um So that's probably going to be coming soon. But, you know, recently over the Thanksgiving break, I went home, spent time with my mom and my sister, as well as my grandparents, my uncles and my cousin. And it was it was a really great time. And I got to spend some time watching some movies with my mom and sister, especially. Um, And, you know, the first movie that we found ourselves going to see was Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. And... Uh, so let me let me just kind of say up front like I was always a really big fan of the Harry Potter books so for those of you who don't know my mom is a principal and when you know the the original you know, Harry Potter novels were getting big here in the states she was working as an assistant principal at a pretty conservative school district and so they were debating whether or not you know we should allow students to read the Harry Potter books. And so she brought home Harry Potter and, you know, I read it and I loved it. And, you know, reading those books was a really magical time. It became like this whole family thing where we would all kind of take turns reading the latest books and everything like that. We would always see the movies, you know, pretty much opening weekend or the weekend after. So there's always been that kind of air of magic. Fast forward to, you know, a couple of weeks ago when we went to see Fantastic Beasts 2 and it was just like all of that magic it was gone you know i didn't feel any of the same things that i felt reading that first harry potter book or watching the films and you know it's really sad because the first fantastic beast movie while not perfect was a good time you know it felt like it had the magic it was trying to do some different things and it was trying to introduce us to a wider wizarding world uh, to kind of use their their terminology and this this film did not really feel like it added to that you know the performances were fine um you know there there are certain things that they advertise that i feel like we didn't quite get enough of you know they were you know, there was a really big deal made out of oh jude law's dumbledore well we barely got to spend any time with him you know Newt Scamander, our hero from the first Fantastic Beast, even though we're still mostly following him, doesn't really have a whole lot to do. And, you know, when you're watching the film, you wonder why are we following him? You know, was it just to create a through line? Because he feels ill-equipped for the mission that he's being sent on. And not to mention, like, a lot of the story beats that they're trying to go through, some of them are very predictable, some of them make no sense, and it leaves you on this weird cliffhanger where you're just like, well, I know you were setting up for the next movie, 
but should the entire movie have just been hey we're setting up for this next you know two movies or whatever because i think they said they're trying to do five movies um you know obviously i would say skip it for now um when it's eventually available on streaming you can give it a watch or on hbo or whatever but not worth going to see in theaters the other movie that we went to see that weekend was uh ralph breaks the internet um the follow-up to the uh six-year-old uh wreck it ralph um Uh, something that someone pointed out they wanted to kind of keep reiterating how many years had passed since the first movie and i actually had a lot of fun with this movie um you know we'll see how well it holds up in the future obviously when you're making jokes about internet culture it's really easy for them to not hold up to the test of time so we'll see um but i thought it was a really great story about friendships and how not to ruin your friendships. I'm just going to leave it at that because, you know, again, this is a spoiler free review. Um, if you want to talk about this movie, definitely come find me. I have a lot of thoughts on it. Um, but you know, what I would say is it definitely made me reflect on how I've been as a friend over time and some of kind of my shortcomings and, you know, how some of my insecurities may have been projected on others. Um, You know, I think it's a really important film and I'm glad that, you know, despite, you know, the very obvious, you know, capitalistic, you know, tendency of a lot of these Disney movies to kind of push product, especially when it's like, hey, take a look at all our stuff. These are all our properties. Um, I think there's a pretty there's still a pretty good message in this film. And I'm glad that they're attempting to expose younger people to this type of messaging now the other thing that i'm going to you know give you a short you know spoiler free review is uh amazon's homecoming uh so this is from director sam esmile um it is a 10 episode mini series each episode is about a half hour um sam esmile you might know uh is the guy behind uh mr robot which is still one of my favorite shows one of the best shot shows on tv the cinematography is amazing the title drops are also fantastic the the music is amazing this show i can barely say anything about it other than the story is great the mystery is great the performances are great again the music is great Everything is so well done that I I want everybody to kind of give it a chance. And to be fair, I know, you know, with a lot of Sam S. Miles work, um, it may not be for everybody. Some folks may try to watch it and, you know, they might get that that feeling of a little bit of boredom or this might be a little slow for them. And, and, And I get that. Everybody has, you know, something different that they're looking for uh but i definitely think it is a show worth watching i hope they don't do a second season because i feel like it ended kind of perfectly it was very poetic um but yeah i want more people to check it out because i really want to talk to some folks about this show and i only know maybe one other person who's watched 
the whole thing uh, and one person who's just started uh, so it's been really hard to kind of like hold my tongue because it's like I really want to talk about this piece of it but I can't um, so make sure that you check that out uh, moving into kind of the Q&A sections, uh, one of my friends from uh, my hometown, uh, Chris, asked me about my thoughts on uh, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, which is coming out this week. And while I don't have a Nintendo Switch right now, I've been a pretty big fan of the Super Smash Brothers series for a while. Um, in middle school and high school, I was the GameCube kid, um, so I was the one of my friends who owned a GameCube and, you know, unlocked everything in Super Smash Brothers in, like, you know, a couple of days and then had everybody over and we would, you know, play the game for hours. And, you know, having not really owned a Nintendo console since other than the 3DS, you know, I missed out on Smash Brothers Brawl. Um, I played a little bit of uh, Smash 4 on the 3DS um, and enjoyed it, but I didn't have a Wii U. I, you know, like I said, I don't currently have a Switch. And so, like, it's really exciting. You know, this game, they have put every character that has appeared in the series before now in it. And I think that's that's really cool. That's That's a lot of fun. And... You know, the idea of where does it go from here? I think, you know, when you when you call something ultimate or you you kind of do a Hail Mary like this, there's a part of me that wants to see the series go quiet for a while. So, you know, we're still pretty much at the early stages of the current Nintendo console, and they don't typically put out multiple games within one series you know, or within the Smash Brothers series on one console so we wouldn't even see you know another game until the next console anyway there's a lot of dlc that's planned for this game there's going to be multiple seasons of that so you know my hope is that they after this game they take a break from smash brothers for a little while and maybe you know rethink the formula and develop something new before coming back to it uh, because it's it's going to be very difficult for them to follow this one up you know, granted, I haven't played it. Maybe it's terrible, but from everything that I've seen, you know, it looks amazing. All the characters that I want to play are in it. Um, I know there are a lot of people that want Waluigi, but, you know, can't have everything that we want. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's I think it's really important. And this isn't just for, you know, a game like Super Smash Brothers, but with with movies, especially, you know, comic book movies, things like that. Sometimes I think it's important to take some time away. You know, that's one of the things that I wish DC would have learned with their films. Like, we don't need to just keep pumping things out because we're competing with Marvel. Maybe we need to take some time and think about what's actually what stories we actually want to tell and how to tell them successfully, how to get people entertained by this stuff, how to, you know, really make this something that's worthwhile. So I hope Nintendo kind of takes a page out of that book and lets this version of Smash ride for a while before eventually coming back to the series, if they do at all. You know, I know, you know, I know Sakurai is, is very tired from making these games. You know, he's basically, when one ends, you know, if he's not jumping on a Kirby game, he's jumping back into the to the Smash uh, to the Smash Mines to start working on a new Smash Brothers. So, 
let the man breathe give him a break uh i didn't really have another question that was asked but um one thing that i did want to kind of talk about because i know i talked about the show recently but for many of you who have been paying attention to entertainment news you may know that Netflix's or Marvel's Daredevil on Netflix has been canceled after three seasons. Um, it's a little sad because it did end on a high note, but I remember talking about the ending and really feeling like they must have known it was getting canceled the way that they kind of tried to wrap everything up so quickly and, you know, it felt a little rushed in the end. Um, and I know some people are wondering if, you know, Daredevil and Iron Fist and Luke Cage and, you know, let's face it, we know the Punisher and Jessica Jones are going to get canceled after their next seasons. If those characters are going to show up on the D- Disney streaming service, which I also talked about a couple of weeks ago, I don't know right now. Um, there's been a lot of speculations that these characters may show up on a new show that hasn't been announced yet. We'll find out. Uh, Time will tell. It's not really clear what Marvel's direction is right now in terms of those shows. Um, What they've been announcing for the Disney streaming service so far were a lot more kind of high level marquee people, you know, looking to do stuff like Scarlet Witch and Vision and Loki and the Falcon and Winter Soldier shows. And so I don't know what that means for the for the Marvel Netflix characters, if it means, you know, maybe they'll get factored into one of those shows or all of those shows, or if there is going to be something like, you know, what I would personally love to see is like a show like Marvel Knights, where it allows for some kind of, you know, defenders crossover, uh, but not necessarily, you know, like the defenders show that we watched, you know, where, these characters are allowed to live their street level New York lives um, without necessarily being impeded by the greater Marvel universe. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, so I have talked for about 33 minutes straight at this point. If you have listened to me talk for this long, I thank you. I need a glass of water. My throat is starting to hurt. Um, but as always, Please let me know what you thought about this episode. Email me, Larry at LM2photo.com. Shoot me, you know, a message on social media. I'm at LarryTron on pretty much every social media platform. Um, Send up a smoke signal if that is your thing. Um, As always, you know, find the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Still not on Spotify yet. Come on, Spotify. Make that work for me. Please, please, please leave me a review. It helps people find the podcast. Let me know what you think. Let me know what you want to hear me talk about. Let me know what I can do better. You know, is my audio recording not good enough for you? Is it not up to the caliber of podcast recording that you are used to? Um, Yeah. That's pretty much it for this week. Love you, fam. Peace.